0: Hi, this is uh, Sid McGregor here. Welcome back to Silence is Cancelled. I'm here with Andrew and our very special guest, Summer. Um, And today uh, we're going to be having a conversation. Uh, Summer has agreed to come on and kind of share her story with us a bit. Um, Way through, like we we really like we believe in the power of of storytelling, and we believe in that like if you can hear somebody's story and you can understand how like their way through you can start to see your way through and it might not look exactly it's not going to be the same but there's going to be enough in there uh and summer has just uh I don't I don't know if, if amazing is the right word but she has um a really powerful story let mm-hmm. me let me put it that way and we're excited that you're here summer uh thank you for coming
1: yeah, thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. I love that the name that you just said, "Silence is canceled." Um, I didn't know that, and I think like that's that's a big part of my story, and so it's, it's a pretty powerful thing to say.
0: Good. Uh, how does that statement like connect with your with your story? Well,
1: I think that like um, the the kind of trauma that I sort of experienced or that had gone that I went through mm-hmm. a lot of that um, was it took place in silence. And I think mm-hmm. that, um, you know, a, a big, huge part of my healing has been breaking away from that silence and being able to finally mm-hmm. feel the freedom to kind of talk about what I went through. Um, and that's, um, been a part of my journey to healing is kind of breaking off that silence and that, that, um, feeling like I have to keep secrets.
0: Mm, yeah. Uh, well, so, so that the, our, our other listeners can know what you're talking about. Um, <laughs>
1: <Drum> <laughs> so let's go back.
0: Uh, so let's go back uh, a couple years and, and uh, yeah, start, start where, wherever you think is, is the most natural place for your, for your story.
1: Yeah. um Let's see. So it, a lot of it really kind of centers around, I can give like the kind of like ends, where the story is going to yeah. end my husband yeah, that's died fine. by suicide a year and a half ago. And, um, the, the process of understanding his mental illness and what was really going on there didn't really mm-hmm. happen until after he passed away. And I was kind of shocked and surprised by his, his suicide. Um, and so, uh, for me in the process of therapy and beginning to talk about some of this stuff, it sort of, um, uncovered pieces of the story that I didn't know were there until after the fact. So, um, I think that's why, like I, a lot of times when I describe therapy, I describe it as sort of a light and, you know, you imagine when you're kind of going through life and especially through trauma or grief, like it's this dark room and I imagine like being this museum and it's totally dark and there's this statue in front of me and I'm feeling it and walking around and trying to understand it. But I, mm-hmm. I can't grasp what it is that I'm feeling or touching or, um, can't see this bigger picture and can't understand it. And I think like, for me, therapy has been like turning the light on and it's like, Oh, Oh my God. Like that's, that's what it was. That's what it is. And, um, so that's sort of been, it's important to understand mm-hmm. like that. You never see and then like circle back. Mm-hmm. Um, My husband and I got, um, we started dating around 2008 and dated for several years. Um, I would say that he was like sort of melancholy, like had moments of like depression, but never like where he couldn't get out of bed or, or anything along those lines. Like sort of, I think we have these like typical, um, we have a general understanding of what maybe depression might look like in people. Um, Mm -hmm. but for my husband, I don't think I ever like I wasn't um aware of it or versed in it and kind of never thought it was like a huge thing. Um yeah. and then it was more got,
0: subtle, kind of like a yeah. like a like a like a morning sadness or something.
1: Yeah, or he just kind of feel bummed about stuff and I felt like, okay, like I'm a great cheerleader, I'm super positive, I'm gonna help you sort of get through it. Um right. and I think on the other side, when you haven't struggled with depression or anything along those lines, um we have a really hard time having empathy for that. Like it's, it's really hard. Um, and again, that's another thing that therapy is, um, really helpful for is to, to kind of grasp like all the pieces that, that, um, that play a role in somebody else's journey of mental health. Anyway. So, um, we dated for several years, we got married in, um, 2013 and we started our, um, I had kind of started a business and then he joined me and we were launching another like piece of our business. Um, and we found out we were pregnant. It was a bit of a surprise. Um, and so, you know, we're excited and, um, launched our business and had our daughter and for anyone who's, you know, what it's like to like be running a business. That's like taking off and feels really stressful and having a newborn baby and all this like stress that's going on in our life. And, um, my husband just one day out of the blue kind of completely shocked me and, um, said, I think you're having an affair. And I was like, I, I don't know when I had time to have an affair.
0: right? And then,
1: um, I'm working with you every day. And so it was like, Oh, well, I, I think it happened two years ago where he, you know, so he had this whole story that he had come up with and this whole thing. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't the type of thing that he, you know, he didn't want to go to therapy and um, it wasn't something I could just call up mm-hmm. somebody and say, you know, I, this is, I'm being accused of this and I really wanted to protect him. I didn't want, um, anybody that I told to, to be mad or angry with mm-hmm. him or think worse of him because anyone that knew me knows that that it just isn't like not in my wheelhouse, you know? And so, um, he, it, it just completely obliterated the trust in our marriage and, um, every, everything that I thought that I knew about, um, him and our marriage. Um, mm-hmm. and then over the this course, was
0: this was sort of like the first sort of signs of, of yeah. oh, something drops. is, something is, is, is not yeah. connecting.
1: Right. And so like fast forward, you know, after Brian passes away and I get into therapy and I start sharing kind of some of these details and stories, um, I think that you could, you know, not that it's like an official diagnosis, but Brian had a lot of um, symptoms of um, borderline personality disorder. And when I go Mm -hmm. and read these um, kind of descriptions, I'm like, (gasps) it's just crazy (laughs) flashlight on what Uh I went through and the amount of trauma that I walked through over the course of from the time that my daughter was born that first accusation until he passed away. Like, um, Let's see. She was um, wow well, four when he passed away, and so um, so it was about. Summer, five years. can
2: I can I ask a question? Like, like yeah. was it kind of like one day everything's normal and great and just normal, and the next day something flipped? Was it sort of that black and white, or or can you look back and see there was some gradual? I think symptoms that, and signs that were being expressed.
1: Yeah, I'm sure I think like looking back, I think it was gradual. Um, There's a lot of things in terms of um, this, the borderline thing that's like the kind of, I need you but I you need to protect myself from you" at the same time and mm-hmm. um, pedestal but also you're the worst person and just I can kind of look back and see some of that stuff um, mm-hmm. that I felt this like eggshell thing and the you know, like responsibility for his happiness is a lot of what I picked up. And it was this kind of weight and burden that I was carrying that I was just always like, okay, like, how was he today? How was it today? And, um, it increased kind of, it, it was very much a roller coaster of, and it was always, um, the accusations would come, they'd be strong. They'd seem like they'd go away. Then he'd tell me, no, 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 they're always there. And, So the the amount of trauma that I walked through in terms of like taking on that responsibility and feeling like this was my fault, that it was because of my character and who I was that gave him these like insecurities. Um, And then it was always a different person that he was accusing me of. So it was never consistent. It was just like he was trying to, he would say like... um, find the truth and uncover the truth. And I know it's there. I just have to like, figure it out. Um, so it did increase. Uh, and I never, I never thought that it was m- like a mental health issue. I went in um, into therapy and had a few like sessions with someone who was able to give me insight in terms of continuing to trying to improve my marriage. But no one ever said, I think your husband is... <laughs> Struggling with some significant mental health issues, and this isn't you. So Um,
2: that that that's interesting to me, like because it sounds like it was definite. Even if it was gradual, it was definitely a change in in your relationship. Yeah. But no one was there. Anyone that said, "Hey, you know, like this is this feels out of character." You said his name was Brian. You know, for Mm -hmm. Brian. You know, this is out of character. This is different. Maybe there's something going on here that you or even he
1: is not aware of you know i don't nobody knew literally so no one could speak into brian's character and say this is out of character because literally um no one knew what i did i did a couple of check-ins with like um my sister and i was like do you think that i like caused this problem or this like do you think that brian would like come up with these um stories from stuff that had happened and would say like, you did this, you did that. That was so shady. Or that was so, you know, slutty or, you know, all this kind of stuff. So I remember checking in once with my sister and saying like, am I, was I like that? Like, am I missing something on my end? And, um, he, you know, she's like, no, I, I don't, I don't think that that was your intention. I didn't never saw that. I never picked up on that. So there were a few kind of reality checks that I, I kind of got from a few friends. Um, but outside of that, I never had anyone saying this isn't just a relationship problem. This is a mental health problem. Mm-hmm. And I, that was the big thing that I didn't really know <clears throat> until um, after the fact. Well, so, I would say okay. like a few weeks before. That all of a sudden right. it was like, oh, it, got, it mm-hmm. got way worse.
0: And so pretty much up, up to almost that, that, that moment. You know, you, you your perspective was this is a some sort of broken relationship somehow.
1: Yeah, yeah it uh, felt like it was my fault, other things in our past, mm-hmm. like maybe things that I'd done. It just felt like I had made a mistake that caused him to have these feelings, and mm-hmm. we had to rebuild our trust. And I was mm-hmm. always like, Okay, like hopeful. Um and like right before he passed away, it started to get it started to feel hopeless. It started to be like, okay, this is, you know, he would, um, I got to the point where I was like, I couldn't go to my cycling class. Cause he thought I was going and meeting up with someone and doing, mm-hmm. you know, having yeah. sex with somebody randomly in the middle of the day for 45 minutes. Um, mm-hmm. or, um, I'd go to the grocery store and he was like, needed me to check in. Or if my location on my phone dropped, he would, whatever. And then he started accusing me of, waking up in the middle of the night and doing something or messing around with his phone. Um, And that's when you kind of started to see there was this level, a little bit level of like a psychosis right at the end. I mean, I I'm talking like the week before he, he was worried that um, there were, we had hackers that were hacking our um, phones. He was like a really smart guy and he was like, Oh, the way they do it is they like hack your T-Mobile account. And then they, You know can get your sim card number and then they can text you to get into your accounts and it was just kind of all these things that he was um afraid were happening that that Mm -hmm. he sort of came up with so and he thought maybe i was like maybe being like blackmailed by the mafia that's when it got to the point where i was like "Uh, okay this isn't just this isn't just insecurity that i've created yeah um,
2: something, something is yeah. wrong.
1: Something is deeply wrong. Yeah.
2: So, yeah. um, I'm trying to, um, imagine the household, if you will, you know, it sounds like it grew into some quite paranoia on
1: the yes. and, and
2: then like yeah. you mentioned for yourself, just walking yeah. on eggshells, egg you never know who you're waking up to type right. thing.
1: Exactly. Um,
2: I'm curious because we could we could dive in, and it should be said neither Sid or I or are, our are, are therapist, you know, but we've all gone through our stories. But like, how how were you getting through those those days, you know, and months leading up to suicide? Because I'm going through my own stuff. It, it became very difficult to work, you know, to to, to focus in on on the the daily even parenting becomes difficult, you know, how, how you getting through your own sort of, if you will, if I dare say mental health challenges, you know, yeah. as, as these things were happening?
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, I think we were very, very lucky to have a business, like running our own business and had a team that was like, um, helping us out. And so, I think one thing that's been, that was really helpful is that they were sort of running things for us. So I didn't, I kind of couldn't work. Um, I know that Brian was like struggling to work quite a bit, but fortunately having the, uh, you know, a uh, e e-commerce business, like we had a really great team for us. So we stepped back from work. Um, and so then it was just sort of surviving. We have a lot of help in our life lives and, um, it was that help has has sustained me in the grief process as well. And so we had a lot of people carrying us through with our kids and those kinds of things. Um, Because yeah, I don't, I don't think it's totally possible to function. It was the number one focal point of Mm -hmm. my life was um, it suddenly started to feel like you're spinning out of control. And it was like um, when someone in your life is losing their um, sense of reality, you kind of, you know, for me, I found myself wanting to, the person that you love, you're like, I, I can't imagine that you don't have a grasp on reality. And so I want to try to be in your reality as much as I can, because I don't want to have to question all of a sudden that you, you are like this mentally ill. And, um, so I think it was, it was very disorienting. Um, to, to all of a sudden start to question his like mental capacity. Mm-hmm. But yeah. What, was
2: that a, um, when can you unpackage that a little bit disorienting to question his mental capacity? Is it, is it like he wanted to go somewhere else with the story rather than something's wrong with my husband mentally?
1: Yeah. You, I think you do. You right. you, when somebody that you love is like, is wrestling, you, you kind of, um, I think I tend to do this. You like imagine the best possibility and you sort of want to excuse it away or figure out a reason why it's happening or explain it in some way that makes sense. Uh, and so I think like, um, you know, as he was starting to really fall apart, that was when, um, you're sort of having to face this, like your worst fear is that, um, there's something like deeply wrong here. Mm-hmm. But we kind of run from that, right? Like if I if, if I don't have anyone speaking that into me and saying, again, because it was this secretive thing that nobody knew. I mean, mm-hmm. I told, so Brian and I, like the, the month prior to his um, death, we started couples therapy. So the first time in there, you know, this is Brian's narrative. We're in there together. And so The first several weeks, it was about kind of sharing our stories and talking about why it's my fault that Brian thinks that I've had an affair. So she was trying to like uncover this. So um, the week before he died and that Monday, Brian passed away on like a Friday night, Saturday morning. He went in Monday or Tuesday. He went in for his own personal therapy session. She even asked him, do you have any ideations? He told her, no, not at all. Of course, blah, blah, blah. I went in on that Friday and I was like, I'm so glad. Like Brian finally let me go in by myself. And I was like, I'm so glad you let me come in by myself. Here's the real story. Here's what's happening. And her job was just on the floor. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause that, that, at that point I was telling her, he thinks that I'm connected to the mafia. He thinks I'm waking up in the middle of the night. Now he's accusing me of the neighbor. And now he thinks like, it was just, getting like really out of control. And, um, and it was starting to involve our daughter. Brian was trying to like uncover stuff from her and asking her questions and, you know, all these coming up with these weird theories and just scary stuff. And, um, so she, we had planned to like confront him. So that was the first moment where I was like told somebody all the things and, Mm -hmm. and I, they were able to say, this isn't normal. And, we probably need to try to see if we can get him to see a psychiatrist and we need some more help. We need some bigger guns. And, um, we never had a chance to go in because we had another appointment scheduled on that following Monday and he passed away, um, you know, Friday night, Saturday morning. So.
2: Can you, um, it's a hard question to ask, but, uh, I'm thinking of it in context of, Suicidal stories I've I've uh, come across the last several years um, and how much silence there is around it, how much um, stigma, how much, I mean, it's even difficult at the services, right? The funeral services, you know, because it's like people kind of know, but no one wants to say it and, and, and whatnot. But can, as much as you're comfortable, can you share about that weekend and Mm-hmm. And then the days after, and, and I mean, all this leading up to this mm-hmm. obvious fact that your husband needed some help, mm-hmm. you know, which in and of itself is not a bad thing. Yeah. But, yeah. but yeah, well, can you, uh, as much as you want to, or not <laughs> want to please. Uh, totally. yeah.
1: Um, yeah. So basically that evening, like that last day within, like I had come home from therapy, picked up my daughter from school. It was Valentine's day. Um, mm-hmm. I had a Valentine's day gift for him and he didn't have anything for me, which, you know, normal dudes, you know, that's how oh, come on. So anyway, so he like, he was like, I'll cook you guys dinner. And I, I had, he had accused me of something new, this whole mafia thing. And he told me, Ellington told me, Ellington's our daughter. Ellington told me something new today. And I was like, okay, well, you know, We have decided together, because he made me promise this, that we wouldn't have secrets and all this kind of stuff. And she's getting thrown in the middle. So, I mean, I was, you know, mad at him. I'm like, you need to tell me what she told you and what she talked about, like, whatever. And um, he wouldn't tell me. And so I was just, I was mad. I was like, I've hit my max limit here. This is incredibly frustrating. All that kind of stuff. So um, he was kind of trying to make me feel better. So he's making us dinner and he, um, wrote me this letter when she knew I loved letters. I have two letters from him, one on our wedding day and one the day before he died. And it wasn't a suicide letter. It was just like, I love you. I'm sorry. Things have been hard. I, you guys mean the world to me. I want to like, um, make it better and work towards, you know, everything being better or some, you know, along those lines. Mm -hmm. And um, I just couldn't. I I couldn't look at him, and I knew I was going to after we got the kids down have to come downstairs and like confront him and like have this conversation. And you know, when you're having a conversation with someone who's living in paranoia and not in reality, it starts to feel really scary and kind of pointless. And I was dreading it. Mm-hmm. So, um, we go to put the kids down. Brian puts our daughter to bed and comes in and kisses my son good night. I, like still doing that like wife mad at you thing that we do, mm-hmm. and um, he puts her down and. Um, I finished putting my son to bed and came downstairs and Brian was not there. And so I was like, that's strange. I kind of go around looking for him and went outside. And I noticed that our old, we had this old Tahoe that it was gone. And so, um, I called him right away. I was like, Hey, where'd you go? And he's like, I'm on a drive. I went for a drive, which isn't totally normal, Brian. But sometimes Brian was like this awesome poker player. And he'd go out to like, you know, one of the little local, like, you commerce, wherever city of industry, he'd go play at one of those casinos and just blow up some steam or whatever. So I was like, okay. So I FaceTimed him a couple times and chatted and all that kind of stuff. And he was just, you know, you could tell he was like angry and upset and mad and sort of defensive, like and did all this stuff and didn't matter you and whatever. And I was like, I love you, you know, come home. We'll talk about it. Let's work it out, whatever. And, um, He was like, I can't come home. It's not safe. And Mm -hmm. he was like, the hack, they're hacking our stuff. They're, you know, the hackers are there. I think they're listening. They're going to frame me for something. Brian was really afraid that he's going to get framed by these hackers. Mm -hmm. And um, I kept saying like, cause what can they take from us? We have each other, we have our kids, we're safe. Like we have our home. There's nothing that anybody can like hack and take away from us. It's not like you're, you know, they're gonna leak information about you and you're the president of the United States or something. Like we're, you know. Um mm-hmm. and so he just needed it needed to drive. And um I checked in with him a few times and finally went to bed, I think um around, I don't know, midnight-ish. I, his phone stopped like responding. I remember saying, I love you, and he said, I love you too. And I told him thanks for the letter, and he said you know, you didn't care. I was like, I did care. It meant so much to me. You know, I'm sorry that I'm frustrated. Like, I think, this is like five years of this type of trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said, you know, and I told, asked him, I said, come home, you know, promise me you're going to come home. The kids need you. And I told him I left the water by your bed and I opened my window so I could hear him when he got home. And, um, I woke up that morning at six in the morning, which I never do. And I was like, (gasps) cause he wasn't home. He hadn't come home. And my daughter, for some reason, like came in and checked in with me and I told her, everything's okay. And told her to go back to bed. And, um, that was when the silence, I was like, okay, done. So I immediately called a close friend that lives nearby and my two sisters and my mom. And I said, you guys, Brian didn't come home last night. Um, there's been some stuff that he's been really wrestling with and um, they were like, we're on the way. So my friend that lives close by got here, she brought coffee over my sister, both of my sisters arrived and um, they were kind of making plans to call hospitals. And they were also trying to decide when Brian gets back, how are we going to handle this and explain why we're here? And all of a sudden now the silence is gone and we're going to have to confront this bigger thing. Mm -hmm. And so there was a lot of this fear and you kind of have Mm -hmm. that worst worst fear in your mind but you're you're like no 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 there's no way
2: but you it sounds um, like you guys were were you guys were preparing for some sort but you it sounds like you guys were you guys were preparing for for some sort it was
1: kind of that they were preparing for an intervention yeah and um so we hear a knock at the Mm -hmm. door and thinking it's brian we were all just ready for him to walk in the door and um there's a coroner which i didn't know and he came in, and of course, like they don't visit your house if your husband's in the hospital, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so he came in and he was like, Um, asked who I was, and can I speak with you? Can you come sit down? And I was like, Where is he? Where is he? You know, just instantly you freak out. And so he was mm-hmm. like, Um, somewhere your husband was in a car accident last night, and um, I was like, Is he okay? Is he in the hospital? And he's like, No, unfortunately, he passed away. And then It's like old life and all of a sudden it's completely obliterated, you know? So he asked me, he's like, I need to ask you some questions. And, um, you know, he said, your husband wasn't strapped in. Is that normal for him to do? And I was like, no. And he said, um, because Brian, he just, you know, crashed his, um, drove his car into a construction vehicle at like three o'clock in the morning. So, um, it all just kind of unraveled from there. And I think the thing about in that moment, I knew for me, I knew that I think that it was like, he, he made a decision in that instant, but speaking to what you said about families and suicide and admitting, I think, um, you know, his family still isn't totally sure he might've been really tired. Um, you know, all those things that all these reasons that we can Mm -hmm. come up with that Like there's no way that he would make that choice or that decision. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think, you know, we see suicide as a sort of reflection of Mm -hmm. maybe the person. And I think it's a reflection of a moment and of a decision, you know, and a level, a degree and a level of pain that is so intense that, you know, at some point, um, if people aren't getting the help that they need or know that they need help, that it can become overwhelming. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that the thing about Brian that, that has always been so hard is that I don't think he probably faced or wanted to admit that the pain was as bad as it was. And he would see stories about suicide, I remember, and um, he would be able to empathize. And that really surprised me and scared me. Um, that he was like I could just he would say like I you know I can understand and then I'd freak out are you you know he's like no no Mm -hmm. I would never Um, Mm -hmm. but again I think it was that silence that even to Mm me he
2: summer thank you so much for for sharing such um, uh, dare I say fragile details Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. uh, of uh, that time um, and I'm curious about two things. Uh, number one, uh, we know, cause you've told us that, you know, since then you have been in your own, on your own therapeutic journey, getting help, you know, uh, I'm sure obviously to, to deal with this, um, these events in your life. Um, and given, I guess what you know now and, and that experience, I'm curious about how you think if Brian would have, would have sought real help, you know, somehow found the wherewithal to, to, um, uh, not be so silent, if you will, with his own struggles, uh, in his own darkness, you know, in a therapeutic setting, how do you think this story could have been different if mm-hmm. I'm asking that, that right. Um, mm-hmm. looking back and then also maybe, your own story of, of healing. Uh, um, I'm curious about that as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's, it's twofold. You know, I, I think that, um, I, I was telling them um, said this earlier that one of the things that I kind of struggle with is hearing this idea of, um, suicide prevention, because, we want to prevent that and it's so important and that we want to speak to people that are struggling with mental health, like Brian. Um, I think the part that was so hard about my story with him is that it felt like it was my responsibility. And I feel like I failed him. When I hear Mm -hmm. suicide prevention, I feel a lot of like shame and guilt that I made a mistake that I didn't know that I didn't hear about that enough that I wasn't proactive enough. Um, and I, there's no way I could have been aware uh, what was going on and where our story would have gone and what Brian's like, the level of darkness and what it would lead him to or how much he was struggling and how much he wanted to be free of that struggle. Um, there's no way I could have known that. Um, but it it still like feels like, oh, if I had been, you know, if I had done something more, if I had, you know, and we I really tried to encourage him and push him to get into therapy and he was really Um, unwilling. So I think it's a twofold. If I were to tell you for Brian, um, one is that, that, that therapy isn't weakness, it's strength. Um, choosing to seek out, um, therapy is, takes so much effort and, um, so much like kind of compassion for yourself and, um, and it it does require a level of strength that I don't know that Brian like really had. And so that, that's, um, the perspective of it. And then I also think that for Brian, there was probably an amount of trauma that like took place that needed to be addressed way sooner than the age of 38 when he passed Mm -hmm. away, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I think, um, getting comfortable with the idea of seeking out therapy much sooner. Um, I don't know. That's an
2: interesting, like we've thought about that a lot in our own messaging is how do we, for lack of a better term, how do we reach people at younger ages, Mm -hmm. you know, before, they even recognize there's a problem, Exactly. you know, um, like I don't need therapy. Everything feels great. And then as life goes on, things percolate and, and mm-hmm. yeah. it's a, it's a, it's a challenge.
1: And it's not even, you know, I think sometimes we think about therapy as this kind of like this kind of broken car that we need to like put back together versus like, Mm -hmm. let's just need an oil change. Like if we just keep up on these oil changes on a regular basis, like, you know, it's your car is going to run way better than you wait till the engine blows and we have to completely replace the engine, Mm -hmm. you know? So like, why don't we see therapy from the same perspective that it's like, we're, you know, like all of us are seeking it out and pursuing it and saying like, here's some stuff that feels hard and heavy right now. And like, how do I walk through this? And like, how do I... And even so, like, how do I live out an empowered life? Like, you know, and I think um, all of us, there's room for like continued growth and continued improvement. Like I never not want to be in therapy um, because it's been so powerful for me. Uh,
2: And so has that been an evolution in your life? Like that, this perspectives that you're, you're bringing, I mean, we're, we're, we're we're speaking post- Hugely, you know, Mm -hmm. one of life's most traumatic events. Mm -hmm. uh, Events, you know, Mm -hmm. to lose your husband and Mm -hmm. the father of your kids, and and to this way, Um, has this been an evolution of thought for you as well?
1: Yeah, I think once you're in therapy and you've like, okay, like I'm going, you know, this I have to have this now. This there's no way forward Mm -hmm. for me. Um, And to sit in therapy and to kind of be wrap yourself in that like grace and that humility and to allow it to be okay. Um and to walk in it and then all of a sudden to to recognize like, oh my gosh, this is so life-changing that I wish everybody could experience this. So it wasn't until I walked through it and in it that I was like, everybody should everybody should mm. get therapy. You get therapy, mm-hmm. you get therapy. <laughs> um, so I mean that's why to me I feel like and, and here's the thing is that in the midst of this kind of journey of healing that has been so overwhelming and so life-changing for me in terms of growth and understanding, um, because I think I would still be walking in that shame and that trauma and that responsibility that yoke, I think would still be there if it wasn't for therapy. And, um, but I I'll oftentimes sit there and feel so overwhelmed with kind of gratitude like how is it that i get to be here and there are so many other people that don't have the resources or the access to be able to sit in this same place and to get this same help Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know and um so that's been something that i've just been really like kind of overwhelmed by is i you know how, how do people get through this without without therapy you know what i mean?
2: I, I do because of my own sort of journey of, of going through my own uh, breakdown and, and getting help and treatments and, and, and being on the precipice of, of contemplating some catastrophic decisions for myself and my loved ones and, and having come through some of that recognizing, wow, if I didn't have all that equity in my home, if, if I didn't have you know, the resources I had to pay for yeah. this access, would i even be here and and how many other people are going through really difficult times and moments and and um and even if they don't ultimately end up you know in a suicidal state just the ongoing depression and struggle and and things that people go through that you know life can be hard but there's so many people that don't have as you just mentioned the access to just and sometimes it's, it's stigma because they, they think, yeah. um, it's weakness. Mm-hmm. And so that prevents them. Um, many times it's just the, the hoops to jump through with insurance and whatnot. And, and other times it's just pure economics, like yeah. they simply cannot afford it. And, um, and so they're in some ways, uh, sentenced to sort of sit in their mm-hmm. in their trauma and their, in their struggle. And, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Um, I'm going to ask sort of a, an obvious question here, but with therapy, mm-hmm. I'm sure life is easy now, right?
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> so easy. <laughs> so easy. Tell us, if you will, that process for you. And I mean, therapy in itself, you know, there's work to do. But mm-hmm. but I mean, you strike me as a very positive, very upbeat person. Mm-hmm. It's just been a year and a half, though. Oh. Um, what kind of work have you put in to to come to this place of being able to tell the story and, and, and live a positive life?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, um, specific to therapy, obviously it's showing up every week and doing the hard work and, and digging in there and, um, reading all the books and, you know, just doing all the things. And I think digging into for me, like what my, journey in my faith has done for me and, and seeing that, um, that, that, uh, God walks with us in the midst of the hard stuff, you know, that he doesn't prevent it. You know, one thing that like, um, it's kind of walking into and through the grief rather than trying to avoid it and go around it. And, um, it's funny cause I felt okay and prepared and comfortable and ready to grieve my husband. But like now as I face this journey of like, Aloneness, you know, and that's the one that I'm trying to avoid. <laughs> I don't want to walk into. There. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's always like something, something that you're wrestling with. I think that community has been a big part of it. And again, like what we we're talking about was that the silence is able to be gone. So I really, I think after a year and a half, I've gotten so comfortable telling people my story and sharing it, and um, feeling passionate about mental health and, and really having a heart for other widows that um, have had to walk through grief. And I think, like I said, I, my situation has been so um, just like, I don't feel not that it's a deserving thing, but gosh, like how I've been carried with um, the financial aspect and people around me and community has just really walked me through. And I know there's a lot of other women that don't have as much of that available to them. And so it just kind of gives me a heart for these women that are going through that. Um, I was able to be connected to a widow's um, kind of uh, retreat and then group that is ongoing that was really helpful to go and sit down and have insane conversations you'd never imagine having. This Mm -hmm. other girl I sat at this table with her over lunch and her husband died by suicide. And we talked about whether or not we saw her husband's bodies. Who else mm. in the entire planet am I going to be able to have a conversation over lunch about something so like, yeah, just otherworldly? No one, you know, mm-hmm. and so, um, but the amount of healing that comes through honesty and vulnerability, mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, is just mind blowing. It's life changing, and so those were the kinds of things for me um, in that process that were a big part. Out, you know, in addition to obviously like the hard work of therapy.
0: Um, yeah, I think it's really, think, really important to just grab a hold of and and sort of uh, observe that like you didn't just, you know, take this one thing. Like you were like, I, I need community. I need these people. I need the yeah. support group, and I need therapy. Like mm-hmm. I need all of these. Mm-hmm all of these things to happen to, to, to get me through uh, today. Cause you, like, I'm, I'm even just putting this like timeline together of like, like Brian dies and then your world ends. And then like three weeks later, like the pandemic and the rest of the world ends. And yeah. so it's like, yeah. there is so much yeah, the happening that, so- there. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Well, so Brian passed away on a Saturday that everyone was like what do you need what can we do and i was like i want to go to church on sunday mm-hmm. and i wanted to be at the foot of jesus like i wanted to worship i wanted to get on my hands and knees and i wanted to cry and i and um i think i think there's a lot about like when somebody um has a person in their life that's passed away you understand this kind of like eternal there's this eternal perspective i think that a lot of people don't have and can't grasp or understand. And, um, I don't think of Brian as a was he's an is. And I remember thinking like that the closest place I could be to Brian was in the presence of the Lord because I knew that's, that's where he was too. And that like, I had this picture of me entering into the tabernacle, like at the altar, you know, and that Brian, Brian was in that same presence, you know? And, um, so we, I, I walked into church and there were like 30 people there waiting, saving seats for us. I was wearing Brian's clothes and I just lost it. I absolutely lost it. Yeah. And, um, it's like so funny because what the sermon was about like, you know, Adam and Eve and God didn't create us to be alone. <laughs> they
2: were like,
1: But you know what? Like for me, it was like, I'm not alone. Look at me. Mm-hmm. Look at what I'm surrounded with. And like, well, it's yes, that journey of aloneness is still is still there. And and the other thing too yeah. is that God didn't author that aloneness. You know what I mean? And so um I think you know, and all these people after the service kind of gathered around me and prayed over me. And it was just kind of began this new journey. It was like, okay, now I get to start this new journey. Um, the yoke of silence is gone and I'm stepping out into this light and this truth. And I remember I told Sid that the, the, um, the day that Brian died, we called, my family was all with me and we were sitting in this room and we, um, Called a friend of my sister's who's like a trauma therapist. And I was like, What do we do? I wanted, I had this like drive, which I think is kind of part of my weird personality, anyways. But I was like, I'm going to be the best
2: griever I'm going to achieve. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Not normal. But I was like, I want to. So I imagine grief is this sort of mountain that we all have to mm-hmm. climb. You literally, I've seen people in you know, my circle after Brian's death that have been at the bottom of that mountain curled up in a ball. And it's like, you will mm. not get through or get better until you're willing to put on some shoes and climb that mountain. And I wanted to have like the best hiking gear. Like I just imagine myself wanting to be as equipped as I could to find people that were ahead of me on the mountain that could let say like, you can get through this. And then people that were um, behind me, I, I pray for both that there would be somebody above and somebody below that I could reach out to and say, you're going to get through it's going to get better it's going to be okay keep pushing forward um, so I think like there was a lot of intentionality about what I knew I was going to have to go through but I mm. I felt this um, which I don't think is normal but I think when you're dealing with someone who's had so much mental illness there was this level of um okay now I'm free to get better um, and I'm going to be so intentional about getting better because um, it was so silent and so hard and so immobile for such a long time. If that kind of makes sense.
2: Yeah. I was going to ask sort of a tricky question. Um, A a close, a a close friend of mine uh, passed away by suicide almost three years ago. And so it wasn't a spouse, but um, close friend and, and knowing his story and knowing what there was, I felt bad about this, but there was a sense that I had a relief for him,
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, and I'm just wondering if that was part of your—I want to say—reaction, but process of okay. Mm-hmm. I knew my husband was struggling. Was there any sort of relief, and then there was there guilt with that relief or a feeling
1: mm-hmm. of guilt? Yeah, I think you know you spend a lot. That's a lot, <laughs> spend a lot of time in therapy, like particularly with suicide, dealing with these kind of like mixed emotions because. um, you're relieved of a lot of struggle, a lot of negative emotion, a lot of burden and pressure to make him feel better. And, um, a lot of hopelessness was gone because it began, it got to this point of like, I don't think, I don't see how this can get better. It felt very hopeless. Um, and so I think that that you, yeah. And then you instantly, after you have that reaction, then you feel bad about it because you're like, I still would have walked him through that journey. I would have wanted to be there for him. Um, I didn't want this to be the story that my children were going to have to have. And so we can't, can't imagine, or can't know what the future held. Um, But for sure, those, you know, suicide is always going to have that because um, to get to that point, uh, you know,
2: yeah, I, I'm thinking uh, uh, here, you know, first of all, to, to your point, you know, with the, the analogy of the mountain mm-hmm. stuff, you know, the only way through is through, is what we say here, <laughs> at that way through your organization, you know, you can't go around it, under it, whatever. And it sounds like you're, you're tackling your. Uh, trauma, your your crises is all right, I'm gonna like you said, you're gonna be the mm-hmm. world class griever. I'm gonna be the best one out there. Uh, but there's also like we're 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 gonna launch a, a campaign here soon. And it just strikes me like the name of the campaign is is You Matter and uh, we haven't we're not ready for it yet. But I I wanna maybe reiterate or or recognize that, you know, Brian mattered, you know, mm-hmm. and, and his loss is, is it's felt is, um, mm-hmm. it's felt for you for uh your two two right children who um and and for any community that that he had mm-hmm. and um and anyone out there who is struggling with the ideation the ideas the thought like mm, maybe maybe it would be better off that i'm not here mm-hmm. uh i think we just collectively want to say you know, hey, you matter. Mm-hmm. You matter to us, you know, even from a distance, but you matter to people close to you and, and um, somehow hold on to that enough yeah. to then, okay, these thoughts, these feelings, whatever my body's doing is is off. Yeah. And I need to reach out and to reach out is, is a very courageous yeah. act.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Awesome.
1: Yeah, I think it's the most courageous thing, you know. Um, is to
2: is to choose to try to get better. Well, I, I'm struck, Summer, by by your courage, uh, not only in the choice to get better, but then to to tell your story so openly to to strange <laughs> dudes here on this podcast. And uh, part and of my therapy, world, I appreciate but, you
1: being here. Free therapy.
2: <laughs> yeah, um But. Um, yeah that takes courage as well and uh as someone who tells my own story sort of actively as well people are like oh that must be come so easy for you i'm like i ah, not not really but it's needed and and so i just want to express gratitude and and um uh as much empathy as i can to to your story and, and to, to you doing it and I don't know. I think there's probably more story to be told that I'd love to, to capture yes. as well. So down the road. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for having me,
1: Summer. Thank yeah. you so much you.
0: for um, yeah. joining us. Uh, it's it's been good to to hear your 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 insights and your perspective on on how you got here today. And I I, I think all of the all of the things that 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 we tried to do at at Way through, like you did them. Yeah. Um, Like the only way through Mm. is through. And the only (laughs) way through is together. And you've, you've did it together with so many people. Mm. You did it with your therapist, you did it with your community. Um, You know, you, you, you entered into that, you know, grief sort of intentionally and, and purposefully. And Mm. we're like, I'm just gonna, let's do this. Like I have to do it. There's no, I can either avoid it for 20 years or I can go through it now. And (laughs) Um, yeah. and I, I think mean, that's, 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 that's really powerful. And, uh, I think for anybody, um, who is, um, unfortunately in your position now who might be listening to this, um, I think your story will, will, will help them, uh, see that there are things that they can do and, and that there is sort of, um, uh, a path forward um, no matter which sort of side of that story that they're on. Mm-hmm. Um, so thank you yeah. for, for, for sharing and, 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 and being sort of brutally transparent with that.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. Ed, can we, can we give you sort of the last word here, yeah. Summer? What, what would you like to say to um, someone out there who might be? Yeah.
1: Um. I would say, I mean, I think, I think the big thing is, is kind of the first step is, um, letting go of the silence. So even if it's just one person that you share, and as you begin to begin to do that and get more comfortable with that, that can open doors to options, um, whether it's through like an organization, but like way through where you're trying to connect people that need help with good therapists um or uh whatever it is i think like just continuing to um to not allow silence to be the thing that um keeps you kind of chained in so i think that that's um the smallest step is that speaking out so
0: Excellent. Thank you, Summer, and uh, thank you all um, for listening. And again, uh, keep it just. We just want you to continue to be safe and know that that you matter and those around you. Uh, just reach out to somebody today and and let them know um, that they matter. And thanks for listening. to silence is canceled, and we will talk to you next week.